0: I tell you what, if, you ever, if you've never preached, and I know most people don't get the privilege, it's a, you know, it's, it's a scary, frightening thing, and it's an incredibly blessed thing. But if you've got to come up and preach, there's nothing like coming up when people are shouting out the name of Jesus. So uh, it gets you in a good, good place. And we need to get just as excited about life stewardship as we are about Jesus, because they go hand in hand. When you know Jesus, you owe him your life. And knowing how to steward that well is incredibly important. That's why we've made this our focus for this beginning of 2019. It's still early in the year. You and I still have every opportunity to set a course in following Jesus wherever and however he leads in this year ahead. And that really is the key. Still early in the year, people have said, how can I make this a a successful year? That's how you do it. You follow Jesus wherever and however he leads. Of course, the tricky question to that for a lot of folks is, well, what does that look like? How how do you do that? I mean, if you're saying that life stewardship is about managing the various aspects of our lives, our our time, our talents, our treasure and we want to manage them in a way that would honor Jesus, that would imitate Jesus, and that would further the work of the kingdom of God on earth, what does that look like? How do you do that? And I have some good news. We don't have to sit around and scratch our heads and say, gee, I I wonder what we might be able to dream up. do what Jesus wants. We simply have to open the Bible, the Word of God. It's, It's there. We ask God in prayer, open our spiritual eyes to see, open our spiritual ears to hear. And so today, it's my prayer that you, along with me, will hear God speak. And let's begin by opening our Bibles to the book of Matthew, chapter 20, we're not gonna study it word by word or anything today, that this is the passage that kind of sets the tone for where we're going today for this this part of our series of managing our life stewardship, because today we're gonna focus primarily on talents, on our lives, on how do we go about doing and being uh, the people of God. And uh, the Bible has guidance for that here in Matthew chapter 20 verses 25 to 28, hear the word of the Lord. But Jesus called them to himself and he said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great men exercise authority over them. It is not This way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man, the Son of Man, Jesus, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many." Brothers and sisters, when you talk about life stewardship and this idea that God has given you time and gifts and and talents and means, according to this example of Jesus, he's given us those things in order to serve. And can I just be very, very clear? This is not an advanced course in Christianity. This is an essential of Christianity. Christianity. There, there is no maturing in Christ. This is not Stewardship is not extra credit. It doesn't make you a really good Christian. It's a part of the life of every Christian, according to the Bible. The stewardship of my time, my talents, my treasure to God. That's what it's about. Finding your ministry. Your pathway, your place of service in the kingdom, of discerning what it is that God is calling you to do, that's an essential, absolutely essential step in life transformation of walking with Christ. If you want to grow with Christ, if you plan to go beyond cultural Christianity, if you plan to move beyond a casual acquaintance with Jesus, if you plan to become a mature, Christ-honoring, Christ-follower, stewardship of your life is an absolute essential. Now, it's interesting to me. I've been in church a long time now. It's interesting to me that anytime we start to talk about finding your way, your path, your sense of calling, of finding, quote, God's will for your life, unquote, that one of the habits we fall into is to immediately begin comparing ourselves to others. And we say, well, I, I don't know. I could never do what that person does. Do you know that God is not looking for another Billy Graham? He's looking for you to be you. He's not looking for you to be Billy Graham. If he wants another Billy Graham type, he'll raise him up when he's ready. Our job is to be who he has made us to be. We should never use it as, as an excuse to say, well, I could never do what they do. I, I can't sing like him, I can't give like them. I, I'm, not, I'm not in a position to do what they do. I, I could never get up and stand up in front. That's not the question. We're not trying to fit everybody into the same box. God certainly isn't. God's amazing work that he has done in creating us with such rich diversity means that we're all different. Sometimes I get, I get kind of tickled. There are days with the racial, what we call on this earth, the racial difference based on the color of our skin. I can have a whole lot more in common with somebody who has a different skin color than a lot of other white men that I know. Uh, I have nothing in common with, if they, if they don't love Jesus, that puts up a huge gap. It doesn't make me dislike them, doesn't make me better than them, it just, it creates a, a difference. Whereas if a, a person of color, any color, any language, is somebody who loves Jesus, it doesn't take long till you begin to have a resonation, right? You begin to feel that, that vibe. God does that. God has shaped us all with specific personalities and gifts and interests and abilities. He did not make us carbon copies of one another. Yet, we are all called to have the same mind, the same character, and the spirit of Christ as we follow him. That's where our similarity is to be found. Now, I, I know we've mentioned already today, we're coming up on the Super Bowl. Go Rams! I mean, who said that? Uh, it's been funny. I've been watching. You can't avoid Super Bowl news, right? They give it two whole weeks. They just talk and talk and talk the thing to death. And, and this year, in the past couple of years, there's been more and more talk about the goat, right? Not Not, not a goat the GOAT, the greatest of all time. Many people believe, more than I wish, but it's many people believe that uh, Tom Brady, the quarterback of the Patriots, based on his record of how many times he's been to the Super Bowl and how many times he's won the Super Bowl, that he may be the greatest of all time, the GOAT at the quarterback position in the NFL. And it grieves me to say it, they, they just might be right. And, and if they're not right, it might be Joe Mant- Montana, which if you're a Rams fan, it grieves me almost as much to say that since he played for the 49ers right across the, the bay. The GOAT, the greatest of all time. That expression has kind of captured my attention recently. It has sparked some conversations, not just about the sports world, but about the spiritual world, about other areas of life. And it has even inspired me to write a series of sermons based on the greatest of all time that we'll get into sometime after Easter. But I was thinking about it this week because of all this talk about the greatest of all time in football, and because of this message, because here's the thing. Jesus was the greatest of all time, and he shows us how to follow him in greatness. It's interesting to me that he showed us. He didn't hide it, and yet we seem to forget it or ignore it so easily. So let's talk very quickly about the forgotten path. Of greatness. A couple of ideas to share with you. And here's the first one. You want to know about how what it is to be great, the greatest of all time? Well, you got to follow Jesus. And following Jesus means serving others. He said, this is how you become great. You become great by serving. And I want to give great emphasis to this because when we talk about a topic like this, a practical message about serving other people and, and how to do it, it's, it's been my observation over the years that oftentimes on the way out after a sermon like that, you get people who say, you know, oh, you know, I had not thought of that idea. Thank you for that practical advice. And, and sometimes you start to pick up this hint that, well, we thank you for the practical advice. We'll look forward to next week when you're back on a spiritual topic. Okay, people, let's get this very, very clear. When it's about Jesus, when it's about the word of God, you don't separate those things. When you do what Jesus did, it's not just practical, it's spiritual, it's all together. We need to affirm that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. What does that mean? He sets the course, he provides the example, he determines the content, he, that's it. it you don't separate the practical and the spiritual with Jesus. Let's get clear on who Jesus was, on the example he set, and what he taught in terms of content. And that's what we're going to work on today in terms of service. And so I, I've just listed in your bulletin, if you're a note taker, I've listed a few verses. We're not going to read them, but I want to show you how simple this is. In Matthew 20, we could go on and read some more, 26 to 28. He talks about how he came to serve, right? That's, he came to serve. John 13 talks about how he did serve. So uh, think about this. He came to serve and he did serve. In John 13, you see him washing the disciples' feet. And then you get that beautiful passage in Philippians 2 where, okay, so he came to serve, he did serve. And in Philippians 2, it says, you, 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 you have the same mind in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, although he was God, came to earth to serve. Folks, you see, the Bible doesn't separate out the practical and the spiritual. It is both and, as we like to say. you wanted, He said, Jesus took on the very nature of a servant. That's what Philippians 2 says. That example is for us, for us as well, to come, to serve, to have the heart, to humble ourselves, to be of service, all right? Which brings me to the second thought about how to be, Great than what people have forgotten. If you're going to do that, then if you're going to do that, serving others means you must be serving somewhere. There are a lot of people who will talk and talk and talk about how important service is. But boy, when it comes time to do, they are nowhere to be found. Say it with me service is an action. Service is an action. It is a spirit, it's an attitude, but it's also an action. It's not just a vague idea. And Galatians 6 talks about how we share one another's load. It talks about how we should do good, especially within the family of faith. And so the question I would ask you to reflect on, and you might just, don't write down the answers, just write down the questions. It's something to think on. Who are you serving? Where are you serving? With what attitude are you serving? Whom are you serving? Serving others means I actually have to be serving somewhere, somehow. Now, the next line, I don't wanna offend anybody, but, I, but it's amazing how, how quickly will people will forget this, and I call it the high price of ignorance. Because when you talk about service, there is, in the Christian life, If you ignore service, it's a dangerous place to be. Haven't you been to so many funerals, and you think about your own, and when somebody says, the preacher, the spouse, somebody in the family, somebody from the neighborhood says, this this person lives such a life, I know that God is welcoming them at the gates, and I know they heard these words, say it with me, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, we all... Who, who doesn't want that on their tombstone? Who doesn't want Jesus to say that? As you imagine yourself meeting, Je- I don't know, what we call them the pearly gates, but you know, but when when we get to heaven and we meet Jesus, who wants to hear, "Poorly done, thou weak and ineffective servant"? I mean, <laughs> nobody. All right. So if we don't want to end up there, uh, we should beware of this idea that we can be ignorant about services because if we're not serving, uh, it's going to be hard for him to say, well done, good and faithful. Servant, if you're not serving, you're not being a servant. There are consequences. And by the way, can I just say this? If you're here today and you are a first-timer or a guest of somebody, trust me, I, I am not speaking to you about how you are falling short. This particular passage right here is a lesson for those who already call themselves Christians who already call themselves Christ followers. For our guests and for others, it is an opportunity to understand the ministry of preaching and teaching here at Pathways, regardless of whoever's preaching on a given Sunday. And that is a 100% commitment to the faithful proclamation of the whole counsel of God, whether it makes us feel like we're getting a pat on the back or a kick in the, yeah, uh, to, to move along. Our goal when we stand here to teach, in spite of our weaknesses and our shortcomings, is to deliver the word of God. It is not unclear. It is not confusing. It is not eclectic and scatterbrained, but it is purposeful. It is biblical. It is Christ-centered. And when we talk about service, here's the question. What does the Bible say about this high cost of ignorance? Well, think about it this way, and I jotted some scriptures down for you. When you think about life stewardship, what does Ephesians 2.10 say? See, we love Ephesians 2 because it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We like that. Don't you like that? Aren't you glad your salvation is not dependent on your works? We love that. Then there's verses 9 and 10 and moving on where it says, And you have been created for good works. You are God's worksmanship created unto good works. In other words, what God has done in you, God has done with a purpose and service action is important. That's why he says we are his workmanship created. Hear, hear that? Created to do that. Now, if God creates you to do something and you don't do it, that lowers the possible lowers the, the likelihood you're going to hear well done, good, and faithful servant. Because if God creates us, we want to fulfill that purpose, amen. That's what we want to do. Well, then, okay, so how does that work? Well, we know in Matthew 25 there's this story. There's this story about sheep and goats and what it talks about is the different things people do. I was in prison and you visited me or I was in prison and you did not. I was naked and you clothed me or you did not. And he says, there are some things we do in service that matter to God. So we're created to do it and then we are called to do it. And then I wrote down James 2 for you because James 2 teaches that any kind of faith that does not reveal its quality through good action, through good work, is a dead faith. You can say, I have faith, that I, I believe this, I believe that. But if it doesn't change how we live, the Bible, not me, the Bible questions the quality and the reality of that claimed experience. Wow, these are strong things. So that, that's a, would you not say that's a high price of ignorance? We should know, we should know that we've been created to serve, we have opportunities and callings to serve, and there's a cost to not serving. So we should be very, very aware, not be ignorant. And matter of fact, that's the very words Paul uses for what we're going to do in our next section of our message, because I want to talk about where we're headed. And in First Corinthians 12, 1, as Paul talks about how they are called and gifted and equipped to serve, here's his first sentence. I would not have you ignorant, brothers and sisters. He's not being ugly. He's not calling anybody stupid. He's saying, in case you haven't heard, you need to understand just how important this is. This this is not optional. This is not non-essential. Don't be ignorant about this. That's what Paul says in the Bible, which means it's inspired by the Holy Spirit and it's the word of God to us, right? So what does it teach us in 1 Corinthians 12? And if, if you don't get anything else today and you get just a tickle in your ear that I need to learn more about service, remember this passage, 1 Corinthians 12. If you go back this week and study this passage and study it well, you'll grow in your understanding. Of service to the Lord. All right. So in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul is really teaching Christians how to find their their niche, how to find their place, how to use their gifts. And here's the thing that Paul wants us to understand: that we are all gifted and called to serve others. I'm going to read to you a few verses from this uh, book of the Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. In addition to that first verse, which seems a little brusque and in your face, I don't want you to be ignorant, but here's what he goes on to say in verse seven. To each one is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. Now he's talking to all believers. If you're a believer, he's speaking to you. Each one means you. Turn to your neighbor and say, each one means me each one means me. And I'll say to them, each one means you. Each one means you. If you're a believer in Christ, each one, that's our responsibility. I would not have you be ignorant, brothers and sisters. To each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. What does that mean? Everybody has been given something by the Holy Spirit and it is given not for you, it is given for you to share and serve with others. It's a very, very powerful reminder. Each one, not just the ones who are called to be preachers, not just the ones who are you know, employed uh, in religious work, but to each one, every believer is given uh, the manifestation of the Holy Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, another the word of knowledge. And he goes on to talk about different spiritual gifts. And so he's talking about these great gifts that we're given. And and here's what God is saying to us now. As as we follow this passage, he says, not only is it given to everyone, he says, but as I give you these, look at verses 8 and 9. He says, one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same spirit, and to another faith by the same spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one spirit. Who determines who gets what gift or gifts? Who determines how we each are? Well, the Bible says God decides who does what, who is gifted with what, That's the whole meaning of verses 11 through 18. Look at verse 11. He says, But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually, just as He wills. God is the one, through the Holy Spirit, giving these things to each of us, distributing. Who does the distribution? The Holy Spirit. So it's a God thing. God decides who it is. So if you're happy that you're not a preacher, thank the work of the Holy Spirit. If you're happy that you are one, don't glory in it yourself. It's a gift from God. And you just say, thank you. Um, God decides who does what. And then if you're working through the note page with me, notice the next thing. And this is important. The greater the glory, the seemingly less important the role. This is interesting. In I, a bit, it's kind of like we, we, we think, oh, I, we'd all like to be the preacher, or we'd all like to have some glorious thing where we stand up and speak in tongues and just amaze everybody. But if you follow along with the scripture's teaching and look at verses 19 through 27, he says, if, if the body were all one member, where would the body be? But there are many members, but just one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, or the head to the feet, I have no need of you. And in each of these, the understanding is these are the ones who think they are higher, speaking to those who are lower. The lower role is the one giving great glory to God. As a matter of fact, you see, verse 22, on the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body, which seem to be weaker, are necessary. And those members of the body, which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor and our less presentable members become much more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, God has so brought the body together, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And that God has an economy. God has a strategy, God has a plan. And he says, I don't want anybody getting the big head. What you think are these great gifts over here, what I'm doing over here, this is amazing, this person and their giftedness. Don't don't glory in yourself, glory in what God is doing. It's a beautiful, beautiful message. Now, with that being said, understanding that we're all gifted and called to serve and God decides who does what, and the greater the glory, what might seem to be less important to role to some people who looked on the surface, but not according to the scriptures themselves. I think it's now is when I want to get practical for a few minutes. If, you'd ever, if you've ever thought to yourself, I'd like to be serving more, but I'm not really sure how to do that. I don't know where to start. I wish I understood better what God wants me to do with my life. Then this last part of our message today is especially for you it's especially for you. Identifying some of the effective uh, aspects of yourself, your inclinations, your giftedness, that helps you jumpstart your ministry pathway to discern your very own ministry plan, where God is leading you to serve. So I want us to walk through some things you can do to help discern God's plan and design for you. And I'm going to do it, I just did it with the letters S-E-R-V-E, just to make it quick. So we're going to move very quickly here. So the letter S, I want you to start with your calling. Start with your calling. And you say, well, I've never been called to be a pastor. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about your call to Jesus. And oftentimes the way you are called to Christ gives a glimmer. It gives an insight. It gives direction to your future avenue of service. For example, somebody who is not raised in the church and meets Christ in adulthood. I have discovered that these folks oftentimes because they say, I lived so long with, an, with not being aware. I, I just can't help myself. I want to share, I wanna talk about. And you see them manifest the ministry of, let's say evangelism or outreach in, in ways that's, that's really quite, you know, quite remarkable. Sometimes a person who is brought to Christ Via a 12-step program, and, and they realize there's not just some higher power, that the higher power has a name, and his name is Jesus, and, and their life has changed, they will often have a passion to minister and serve in recovery ministries or in other ways of helping people who have been on the downside of society, ignored by others, more engaged perhaps in social issues. So I just invite you to reflect back on your calling. Discern whether there are some clues there about where you may want to serve. What insight can you glean about your future call from how Jesus called you to himself? Letter E stands for engage your spiritual gifts, and that really connects to this 1 Corinthians 12 passage we've been looking at. It's not the only one. I'm going to mention a couple others. And by the way, there's a number of different classes, books, inventories, which are also called surveys or spiritual gift tests, which are just intended to help you sort through and discern your spiritual gifts. We read about a few a minute ago: the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge. There's miracles are mentioned, uh, uh, prophecy, uh, discerning uh, uh, discernment. Uh, there's all kinds of things: uh, exhortation, giving, leadership, mercy, uh, evangelism. All of these things the Bible says are given to us as followers of Christ to build up the body of Christ, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Not just 1 Corinthians 12, but you might want to study Romans 12, study Ephesians 4. If you get through those three and need more, come and see us because we have no shortage of teaching about this. Pastor Larry has been teaching about it in his Sunday school class uh, the past. He's got one more week or did you finish it? One more week. So, Uh, And then Pastor Paula is doing a Thursday night class. You can look all that stuff up, talk to her afterwards, and make sure you connect in. Uh, Listen, it's better to use your spiritual gift than to know what it is. So if you don't know what your spiritual gift is, but you've been accidentally using it for the past 40 years, uh, praise Jesus. However, I have discovered that generally, if I know what tools I have in my toolbox— It is easier for me to pick one up at the right time when God says, this would be a good time for you to fix the plumbing. I know that I probably want a wrench. I probably want some other tools that I'm going to need. It's kind of that way with your spiritual gifts. So engage those. Don't try to do it just in the flesh. So get some classes, take a survey, learn, okay? R stands for recognize your skills and values and beliefs. And I kind of probably listed some other things here, but when I talk about these, it's simply a way of saying many of us, in addition to our spiritual gifts, everybody, you've got natural abilities, you've got things that you've been trained to do in school or that you've learned on the job. And many times those skills are a very significant factor in determining a place of effective ministry for you. If you have an extraordinarily beautiful voice and you've been trained at school to use that, for example, you might want to examine, it. God, are you calling me to choir ministry, to, to music performance ministry, to praise team, to something you want to explore that. A person who's been taught in communication is very gifted at that. You might say, how can I help do that? A very organized person. That may fit in finances or it might fit in personnel or it may be something else. There are people who are extraordinarily gifted with their hands, craftsmen and tradesmen, and they do so much to help in a variety of ways. So my question for you is, you know, what are you good at doing? Recognize your skills. What are the abilities that, that you have that you can bring to bear? make a list, you might be surprised to discover that all of those can be used to build up the body and serve his church. And I said, not just your skills, but your values and beliefs. Let me just say this very clearly. Core values and core beliefs play a very important role in determining where you should be serving and, and what you're going to do. For example, some of us think that what we believe and teach is extremely important. It should be very biblical. And therefore, we want to be involved in the teaching of the Bible, the teaching of theology, the teaching of Christian history, the teaching of, of uh, faithful practice of the Christian life, whatever it might be. That comes to people who have gifts of teaching or encouragement, who knows? But, but those skills, if that's a value for you, that those things be taught That's going to help you. I've known people who had a core value uh, about the worth of children. And, And they serve and serve and serve children in so many ways, reaching and teaching and caring for children. And so I just say all this to say understanding, identifying your core values, what really drives you, your core beliefs, and the skills that you have can be very, very helpful in determining your area of service. The letter V. I, I'm letting that stand for value lessons from your life experiences. And there are two categories that you ought to consider when you're thinking about your life experiences. You ought to be thinking about both your pains and your joys. Your pains and your joys. You see, with your pains, whatever, whatever tugs at your heart for, as a way of service, you know, oftentimes that comes out of a particular problem you came out of. I mentioned earlier, 12-step programs or addiction issues or loss issues and grief. People who have walked through those things often have a passion to help others through them as well. Not, not so you put your pain and anguish on display to somehow lift up yourself, but a lot of people don't want to hear too much from you unless they know that you have walked in some version of their shoes. And that's one of the ways that we can serve one another, not just your pains, though your joys can also do it. Where do you find your joy in helping other people? We could use the word success because oftentimes we're happiest when we feel like what we've done mattered. I want to be very careful about that word success. So I expect you to to kind of put that in a Christian context. We often use the word fruitfulness. When you do something that God wants you to do and it bears fruit, it brings you great, great joy. And this is the problem with the way churches tend to measure things to give you a little insight. Churches are highly focused on nickels and noses, money and people, for attendance numbers, for budget numbers. And and it's not that those things don't matter all they do. God God does things through through money, and God does things through people. So nickels and noses matter, but when they're the only things that we're worried about measuring— I got to just remind you of this. When Jesus was at the peak of his ministry, what does the Bible say about his net worth? The son of man had no place to lay his head. When Jesus was at the peak of his ministry and had a room full of people and he taught them the truth, what does the Bible say they did? Many went away sorrowful. Just didn't really want to hear what was being taught. So we have to be careful about how we do that. But it is generally true that when we are serving in in, in an area that bringing us joy, we're seeing fruitfulness. Wow, that's one of the places you ought to consider and value those life experiences when figuring out where are you serving now? Who are you serving now? And then the last one, you energize your service, you energize action with affirmation. And the affirmation can come from three services. Three sources. The first one, and probably the purest one, of course, we would all say, would be from God. When God puts a desire in our heart and we fulfill that thing, we do that thing, we are striving to do God's will. We're going where he's leading. We're following those clues. We're listening to the Spirit of God and earnestly seeking his guidance, and God gives that guidance. We pray in that direction, and the Spirit leads, and we follow, and we go. I mean, wow, that's an awesome time to walk in. And you may be walking in a season of that right now, And if you are, God bless you. Be at peace. Enjoy it. Uh, Because that tends to be one of the waves that we will, uh, on the mountaintop, right? It's a great place to be. Stay there as long as you can. Another place that you can energize your action from, though, in terms of affirmation, is from other people. One of the best ways to discern your spiritual gift is to talk to people who see you in ministry and find out what they are receiving from you, how God is using you in their life. That feedback, what people see in us, helps us discover things that often we don't even see in ourselves. The first time somebody said to me, I've been watching you for some time. I've been praying for you. We've been in small group together. I, I, I just wondered, do you know what your spiritual gift is? And I said, no, I don't. And they said, I, I think you have the spiritual gift of prophecy. You ought to understand that and study it. So that's about all they said. And I made it my mission to study what the Bible taught. And by the way, prophecy is not foretelling the future. Biblical prophecy is forth telling the word of God. And oddly enough, when they said that to me at the age of 16, they were dead on to the calling that God had for me. I didn't see it in myself, farthest thing from my mind at that particular point in time. So it's important, listen to feedback from others, especially if they're giving you feedback on how you are ministering to them spiritually. I don't just mean them saying, oh, I really loved your song. I want you to hear them say, you know, when you sang, this is what I received from God. Now that, that's ministry. That's ministry. And then the last piece I'll say on this in in terms of energizing action with affirmation is understand what's coming from yourself. When you are involved in the right ministry for you, I believe you are energized. Am I tired at the end of a worship service? Of course I am. Of course I am. A- am I exhausted and think, oh, I don't want to ever do that again? Absolutely not. Because the most energizing part is to stand out in the lobby later, not to have people again say, oh, thank you, that was a lovely sermon. Yeah, that, that, thank you, that's a sweet thing, polite thing to say. I know we've all been taught to say that, and, and, you know, but that's not it. When somebody says, you know, this is what I've been going through, and God spoke to you today by saying that thing and that ministry, now, now that's energizing, you see. And by knowing that you're doing the thing, ministry is not meant to be a drudgery for anybody it is meant to be the joy in what god has for you to do i love this quote i'm going to wrap up with this frederick Beekner, he wrote it this way the place god calls you to in other words where god wants you to serve the place god calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet Isn't that profound? Because God didn't put you here for nothing. You know, when we say, God, let me make a difference, that's not just to self-validate. That's because God created us to make a difference. I created you for good works. I called you out. I laid down my son's life. My son laid down his life in obedience to make it possible for you to do these things. That's how important it is to God. The pathway God has created for you is the pathway of abundant life. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, we want a life that finds joy in giving itself away. We believe that you have given us more than just activity, more than just a list of stuff to do, but you've given us a way to invest in others through the work of the Holy Spirit in ways that are beyond our own capacities, as the Holy Spirit works through us. And so, our prayer today, Holy Spirit, is that you would work through us to bring joy and gladness and meeting the needs and the hungers of people in this world. People who need you, O oh God. People who need love, O oh God. People who need connection, O oh God. People who need Jesus, O oh God use us, take our lives, let them be completely sacrificed to Thee, to what You want to do through us. That's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Life is too precious to settle for less, folks. Find your mission. Fulfill your mission.